Welcome to the Absite Smackdown podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, Absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it. Hey guys, it's me, Jess, your host of Absite Smackdown podcast. With me as always, Dr. David Kashmir. And I don't want to say my favorite guest because I don't want to make other people jealous, but the one I keep bringing back, Dr. Colton Lee. Hi, Dr. Lee. Hi, Dr. K. Hi, you guys. It's good to be back. Hi, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you back, Colton and Jess. Thanks for having me back on. I assure you guys, obviously, I'm not in my house. Um, I am in a hotel room. My life is not as interesting as it appears to be, but (laughs) I'm actually excited to do this podcast in a hotel room because if we do a board-style scenario, then it's almost like I'm taking my boards. (laughs) Right, very close, right? Just a a little preview, I guess. Yes, hopefully. So our topic today is, it's November, which means we're two months out from the absite. And uh, don't know if you thought about that, but it's it's a thing. So I, Dr. Have Lee. To, <laughs> I have to say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you reached out to me and informed mm-hmm. me it was two months from absite, I had a small meltdown uh, because I was not ready to be two months away. Um, of course, you know, have been trying to study my best all year long. Right. But to actually put a date and realize that it's November and January is coming very quickly. is actually pretty scary. It is. And it's the holiday season. So it just feels like it goes so quick. And I think you mentioned the key factor. It's not just right before the test. It's a year long thing. Like you're, you constantly have to study. Like if right now you're just now starting, you're a little behind, but let's help you. <laughs> like that's our job all the free content, all the stuff to help you get going. But because it is two months out and obviously you've taken the app site before, you know what works, you know what helps you. Um, I really want to get into like two months before what you're doing. Uh, I want to compare it to when Dr. K took the app site, what he was doing, because, you know, there's so much more benefits today than there was. What did you say, Dr. K, when dinosaurs roamed or what was that uh, phrase you used? When we were doing a little bit of planning for the episode, uh, and you asked me kind of how it was back in the day. Um, we were talking about how, you know, the entire test then was on clay tablets. It was real difficult. Uh, we had to fight off dinosaurs. Hordes yeah. of Mongols, I think, were there at the time. Yeah. It was really, uh, but, you know, nowadays, I think uh, there are a lot of advantages. There's much more information to process also. Mm-hmm. You know, medical knowledge and surgical knowledge continues to expand. We learn more and more, and there are new techniques. So it's been interesting when I think that, Textbooks, when they're published, are four years out of date. And uh, I've learned recently that the amount of information made every six months now is more than the entire amount of information made in the whole of human history before this. So that's how much data there is constantly being generated now. And there's just more and more to learn. So even though things may have been in some ways uh, a little bit uh, different when I came through, I have no problem with all the modern advantages people have now to study and get course review because it's necessary. There's a lot more to process nowadays. Okay. Well, maybe you don't have it that easy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little disturbing and scary. So anyways, like I said, back to you two months before, why don't you tell us what worked for you in the past, what you learned, what you're going to start doing now and what you think just from your personal experience is important. Yeah. So we have our conferences every week where we review actual outside material, our educational conferences. So it should always be in the back of your mind of kind of what's going on and tracking where you're at. 
Mm-hmm. I found that in the past, the year that I did best on AppSite and the year that I would like to emulate again now, I started in November uh, and I was doing questions like 10 or 15 questions every single day. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. Some of these questions were on rounds uh, when uh, there were conversations about sodium or potassium or other things that I should have been participating in, uh, but found myself kind of trailing off into into fantasy land but it was a good my time if it was either that or being on my phone or or being distracted by something else and so what that allowed me to do doing 10 or 15 questions in my free time helped me find a topic and so if one day I was reading about a serotic or had a question on serotic that I got wrong then I had something to go home and look at either in podcast form listen to in podcast form or look at in my review book um, or just watch a YouTube video about. And so it kind of helps you guide your studying to find your deficiencies this far out. Mm-hmm. Um, the other important part of that is that it gave me a tangible goal. I would say, you know, I want to do 300 or 400 questions by the end of this month. Um, and that would potentially give me, you know, 40 or 50 topics that I could look at something every day um, that mm-hmm. would guide my studying before I really wanted to buckle down and make sure that I read, you know, three chapters out of a review book every day or something crazy like that. Right. Um, It really helped me guide where I was going. I definitely think that, you know, even though this is something that we're supposed to be doing all year long, like knowing right now, like having this reminder, we're two days or two months, two days, two months, two months out, you can make a plan. Like you said, how you do 10, 15 questions. Like you can sit down right now and be like, this is how much information I need to cover. This is how much time I have. Like if I divide it up and do this much this day and set goals for yourself, like you can accomplish it no matter what, no matter how far behind you feel, as long as you know yourself and what kind of studying works for you and what you need to do. I think that's the best way, like knowing what works for you. Everyone has their own thing. So you said questions, um, getting the ideas on rounds, being able to go back. It doesn't have, sorry to interrupt. Um, It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be a hard goal. It could be five questions. It could be three questions. It could be Mm -hmm. a page out of a book. As long as you're doing something for that day, you're better than you were whenever you woke up. Right. And you can build on it the next day. And Dr. K, not only because, you know, you took the website, you have wrote this book, you had this vision. What have you found as you are teaching residents, as you're guiding, as you're being the mentor? Like what, what do you try and leave with them with from your knowledge and your experience to make sure that they feel prepared and that they're getting done what they need to get done? Um, It's a big question. Uh, (laughs) It is the most important thing to me is that we develop good surgical colleagues. And uh, that takes uh, some cognitive stuff, some decision-making stuff. What the AbSite was originally for was to help program directors know how good their education system is. Uh, As anybody who's taken the AbSite knows, it's very useful for everything from basic science to now clinical knowledge. And one of the challenges with it is, at times, it doesn't uh, allow for the full breadth and depth of what it takes to be a good surgeon. And no one's exactly trying to assess uh, whether you'll be a good surgeon uh, based on solely the ab site. We do know, uh, like the book says, if you get a a low score lower than about the 30th percentile, 35th or so, at any point in residency, you're at a risk to not pass your qualifying, your written exam on the first first, uh, attempt. But that doesn't mean uh, you're not plenty smart It doesn't mean uh, that you won't be a fine surgeon if you do take it again and pass. And it doesn't mean you will fail. 
it actually in most series only takes your risk up to about uh, 20 to 30 percent of not passing on the first attempt but it is a statistically significant increase and it may come down more to the amount of time you can study how you study kind of learner you are and what kind of program you got to but a uh, long answer uh, jessica to a brief question but the headline is uh, that i try to make sure patient uh, the uh, students, um, residents, and even medical students, when they prep for these exams, uh, get, or when we help prep them for these exams, get the basic sort of the cake they need, meaning uh, the basic science, et cetera. Uh, some of the decision-making stuff, some of the key classic points, but I don't uh, sort of fool myself into thinking, you know, that it's all that's required to be a, you know, a great surgical colleague one day. Uh, so we kind of try to give them the nuts and bolts try to do the absite prep, try to make it easy for them to prep and be effective. Uh, but it seems to me that the absite is one important component of the steps to becoming a good surgeon, but it's, it's not sufficient. The Absite Smackdown podcast. Visit the Smackdown at absitesmackdown.com. So from your experience, Colton, do you feel like what Dr. K said, do you feel like it's a good, um, parameter almost for, you know, what you're learning, how your residency is teaching you and um, how you're progressing and not so much what kind of surgeon you're going to be? I feel like my absite performance has been more of a reflection of where I'm at mm -hmm. uh, in, in contrast to a reflection of how the residency program is performing. Now, obviously, if the program is giving me the support that I need, um, with a little bit of gentle nudging to be better every day. Um, obviously I'm going to perform better. Um, but the year that uh, years that I did better, I feel it was because I took it into my own hands and I was studying in my free time and it wasn't a lot, like I said, but it was very consistent. Um, now, obviously Dr. K mentioned all the resources that we have now and, and you know, having a guiding hand and that makes up a big part of actual prep itself because mm -hmm. it's, I know I keep harping on the baby steps and the small things, but it's having, you know, AppSite Smackdown Instagram and in, intertwined in four or five posts from my other friends whenever I'm sitting um, in a waiting room somewhere. Right. And so right. it's having it on my Twitter feed. It's having a review book in my car or a podcast on the way somewhere. It's, it's not one tangible thing um, that, that I can put my finger on. It's, it's a bunch of small pieces put together that I work on every single day. And it's a reflection of me and the program. Well, I, I want to pick up on that, uh, Jessica. I know you want to move on. But uh, first, I, I want to add in that uh, exactly, for those of you who don't remember at home, uh, Dr. Lee's uh, currently a, a resident in the uh, combined program out in uh, Las Vegas. And uh, uh, we actually really appreciate having him on all the time. He's yeah. one of the uh, co-authors uh, for several chapters in the book, and it's always great to work with him and talk with him. Um, I wanted to pick up on what you said, Colton, and that is uh, that that kind of what's called internal locus of control. You feel like you have done these things and you have performed better. I think that's actually in part really key um, for developing surgeons and people who will go on to be great colleagues. The website was originally dis, uh, kind of deployed to tell us about how our programs run. And yet when I was a surgery resident and all of us really in our residency were much like you and said, well, this is on me and I seem to do better when I study. And I think that attitude is exactly what it should be. Uh, I think that the website's original intent 
um, to tell us about our programs is still useful, but now it's really been much more uh, individual focused with how it's interpreted. So I kind of applaud you for saying, hey, I feel like, you know, clearly I have influence on how I perform on the test and you take ownership of it. I really think that's key. And uh, those kinds of people, in my experience, go on to do uh, really well um, after they've completed residency. I think that's kind of the right attitude um, about the whole thing. The Absite Smackdown Podcast, bringing you the best of your Absite review. I agree. I just love seeing both sides from, you know, the teaching side and the learning side, how everyone takes responsibility for what they're going to do and how we're building great surgeons. So I feel like we've really touched on everything just to wrap up the whole two months before, you know, questions, make a plan, figure out what works for you, how you learn, how you study, you have time, it's not too late, you know, just make that make that happen. But the important part of this podcast is obviously usually when we do a case, because that's the fun and this is where I sit back and watch. So I'm going to leave it to you, handsome gentlemen, to, you know, do what you do best and teach us something. Uh, okay. Well, thanks, Jessica and uh, Dr. Lee. It's uh, good to have you back on call at um, the uh, United States uh, Best Hospital. Really is the best hospital. And the ER is just so busy all the time with all these different types of pathology, really a varied residency experience. So it's good to have you on call. I think this might be the 10th time uh, this week, this month that you've been on call. Uh, amazing. You've been able to keep your hours confined appropriately, and that's great. Uh, and sure enough, one day at 2 a.m., uh, you receive a call that a patient has come in who is a um, known drug abuser, really known well to the ED, and he was just found down. Uh, so he got sort of his usual routine uh, reversed empirically with Narcan, but he didn't really wake up too well. And uh, they weren't able to get a great history from him. He seemed to protect his airway, the ER doc thought. And they passed him through the CT scanner uh, just because really they couldn't examine him at all. And they did a pan CT scan. Uh, on that scan, uh, they found a, uh, an intussusception of the small bowel. And that's when they said, well, this guy's really unresponsive. He has this intussusception. And it looks like he has a small bowel obstruction associated with it. That's the call to you. Uh, they talked at you for a while. And um, how do you proceed? Okay, so anytime that I get a consult, obviously the first thing I'm going to do is a problem-based focused history and physical. Uh, it sounds like the patient is going to be maybe a little bit obtunded, um, probably not going to answer my questions very well, but they're protecting their airway. Um, so I'm not going to get much out of my history. I'm probably going to be able to get a fair amount out of my physical exam from just looking at them, uh, feeling on their abdomen, making sure they're not peritonitic, um, which would be obviously a surgical emergency if they have an acute abdomen. Uh, I'm going to see if they're distended, if they have rebound tenderness, things like that. Um, any of those things apply at this time? You know, on your uh, focused history and physical, uh, just as you said, uh, they really don't respond very much. Uh, they, they're not able to answer any of your questions, uh, but he does seem to protect his airway. He'll uh, cough, sputter, move around, just doesn't really talk much. Uh, his GCS is just a bit above eight, so you definitely want to keep a close eye on him. Uh, when you go ahead and examine his abdomen, uh, sure enough, uh, he is distended. Um, he has some, uh, some uh, previous incisions on his abdomen that are well healed, including a midline. There's no obvious hernia, no inguinal hernia. But uh, basically to focus us and move us along, 
let's be very focused and say uh, abdomen's distended. Can't really tell about peritonitis because he's so limited. Uh, no obvious hernias. Uh, and really, those are your, are your main findings on physical exam. So first thing I'm going to want to do is put down a, uh, an NG tube because he is protecting his airway. I don't want him to aspirate if he vomits from his obstruction. Um, whenever I think of intussusception in an adult, I'm going to think of a malignant lead point. Um, this patient's obstructed uh, to start with. In a typical small bowel obstruction, the situation, I would decompress him for you know, 24, 48 hours to see if they clinically improve and what comes out of the NG tube. Uh, because a large majority of small bowel obstruction or a majority of small, small bowel obstructions actually uh, improve non-operatively. Uh, but in this patient, I have a lower threshold to go to the operating room for a couple of reasons. Um, so this is probably a patient that I would, I would be more apt to take to the operating room in the first 24 hours, depending on how he does clinically. The Absite Smackdown podcast is based on the best-selling review book, Absite Smackdown. The only Absite review with an entire video review course included. Visit AbsightSmackdown.com and pick it up today. Well, uh, Dr. Lee, I know like we said, we don't exactly do exact board style on here. We're kind of loose with it. Um, I'm going to share a couple of my thoughts first. Uh, in general, um, I, I like how you placed an NG tube in the guy uh, straight away, at least to decompress him. And like you said, it's a tough judgment call. Partial small bowel obstruction, sure, they can resolve with an NG tube. Uh, the classic is that small bowel obstructions really don't resolve with an NG tube, but you don't know what you have at first. So many people call them all, you know, it's sort of a partial obstruction if there's any question. Um, I like to follow the lactate and the white count to see if those resolve within 24 hours. That's very useful. Make sure you don't miss dead bowel or anything like that uh, to help kind of decide. Um, and I agree with you, uh, maintain a low threshold for taking the guy to the OR. So uh, I think for all the reasons you said, um, you know, it's a pretty good choice to decompress the guy and at least maintain a low threshold uh, for going to the OR. I'm curious, you mentioned that um, in adults, uh, malignant lead points of the bowel are really an issue. Um, why did you take care to mention that? And how is that important to our management of these patients, as opposed to like a, a pediatric patient who has an intussusception? Yeah, so in pediatric patients, I think more of a prodromal illness that leads to inflamed pyrus patches and may cause an intussusception. Uh, in an adult, less likely, however, people can have a prodromal illness that potentially could cause inflamed mesenteric lymph nodes or, or could have thickening of the bowel that leads to an intussusception. But a lot more common, in my reading at least, for an adult to have a malignant lead point causing an intussusception. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I always uh, take care to remind us that the in, there's the intussusceptum and the intussuscipians, and the intussusceptum uh, is the one that goes in. The intussuscipians is the recipient of the uh, other piece of bowel. It always helps me remember. I, I could never keep that straight myself. Uh, and Dr. Lee, in this case, sure enough, the patient's uh, obstruction uh, does not resolve. And uh, their white count doesn't defervesce. They continue to be distended. Although he does wake up much more, really dislikes the NG tube too, by the way. And uh, sure enough, you decide that he's going to have a procedure. What procedure do you do and how do you go about it? So in this patient, he has multiple abdominal scars, including a midline laparotomy. Uh, I do know some people that you know, would do this case laparoscopically potentially and run the bowel laparoscopically. At my current stage of training, I am not comfortable doing that. 
um, just because I don't have the, you know, fine motor skills laparoscopically to actually run the bowel very well. So I would probably do an open laparotomy uh, and take a look at the abdomen. I would look for um, any strictures, any masses as I run the bowel, starting at the ligament ligamentotrites all the way to the end and kind of see what we find when we get in there. Well, just as described, uh, you're able to open the abdomen and uh, dissect uh, the adhesions free from surrounding uh, tissue and rele release uh, the small bowel. Sure enough, uh, you, uh, in this case, uh, start up at the GE junction, run the proximal portion of the bowel, and then at the ligament attrites, uh, you're able to be kind of begin again and you follow the small bowel distally. Um, about uh, oh, about uh, one and a half, two feet uh, distally from the ligament attrites, uh, sure enough, you find this uh, intussusceptum and intussuscipians, this portion of bowel. Um, there it is in the OR. Uh, bowel seems to be very erythematous in the area. Uh, does seem to be, there's no frank necrosis, uh, but erythematous. Uh, how should we proceed with something like that? So with the thickening of the bowel wall uh, and it sounding fairly angry, I would actually, I think I resect that piece of bowel um, and do an anastomosis. Um, in the back of my head, again, I'm still thinking about a possible malignancy. So I'm going to feel for nodes uh, and possibly take um, some nodes as well to ensure that whatever he has didn't spread. Sure, sure enough. Uh, and we won't discuss, you know, the various, oh, do you two layer hand sew, one layer? We will just, there are surgical decisions that can be made, the staple. Uh, but whatever you decide, sure enough, you resect that portion. And I'll tell you, the mesentery around it sure does feel thickened. Uh, it often does for different reasons, if it's longstanding or if it's just reactive, uh, but you don't know. And that uh, mesentery around it is thickened. Uh, and you said you perform a bowel resection. Do you take part of that mesentery? Yes, of course. I would take some of it as well. Okay. Well, you send that to pathology. The rest of the procedure is uneventful. You, uh, is there anything else you like to do with something like this before you um, uh, close the procedure and close the patient? Um, so, he, it sounded like he had a, a fairly extensive license of adhesions, potentially. He did. I do know some people that would like to use things like seprafilm or something like that to prevent uh, future adhesions. I don't think that the data is necessarily good enough to... Many different adjuncts we can use uh, for sure in the abdomen, especially in the face of, you know, you've had previous adhesions, you've taken them down. Is there anything else we need to do on our inspection of the abdomen or we've just run the bowel and we're good now? Um... Let's see what you're trying to get at. Well, I'll admit uh, there's these are not typical, you know, board style questions. I guess the challenge is you were concerned about malignancy of the small bowel. And when we see um, those malignancies, what kind are they? And do we just need to do anything else while we're there? I see. Yes. So in a malignant situation, you're going to think about whether or not you spread anywhere. Um, if it's, you have several different malignancies of the small bowel, although they're fairly rare. You can have adenomas, you can have carcinoid tumors, um, you can have other things as well. But typically from the intestine, the first place that you're going to spread is going to be to the liver. So I want to inspect the liver um, and look for any metastatic spread of whatever I found. Um, that can be done by feeling it. You can even use some adjuncts such as ultrasound in the operating room to, to look at the liver uh, firsthand. And then you've, you've completely inspected the abdomen, including the liver and uh, surrounding structures and, and all the abdomen. Uh, you don't find anything else, just that area uh, that you took care of. Uh, sure enough, you proceed to close the patient and uh, the procedures are completed. Uh, patient goes back uh, to recovery and eventually to the floor. They do well. 
Uh, they do have an ileus, reactive ileus for several days. And before they leave the hospital, even though it typically takes uh, five days or so working days, uh, pathology returns as a carcinoid, as the uh, lesion uh, that seemed to be causing this lead point. Um, and the uh, mesentery you took uh, has no uh, nodal, no carcinoid uh, nodal disease. How do we proceed? Get more AppSite content in your daily routine. Visit us on Instagram at daily.appsite.fact, on Facebook at AppSite Smackdown, or LinkedIn at AppSite Smackdown. And you can catch the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any place you listen to your favorites. Don't forget our YouTube channel, AppSite Smackdown. So I think this patient would be cured in that situation. Uh, sounds like there's no metastatic spread of the carcinoid tumor itself. As long as my margins are adequate, um, I'm happy. Uh, I would instruct the patient and obviously counsel the patient about what they had and their potential for future bowel obstructions. Uh, and of course, some counseling about ceasing uh, using IV drug use as well and providing resources for that. Yeah. You know, hey, I think that's really well said. I know we don't exactly do a board style here, but I got to tell you, I think the choices you make to appropriately decompress the patient uh, complete assess the completely assess an HMP as much as you can as they're limited, and I think your intraoperative decision making really uh, fit uh, what is very uh, classic for a situation like this. So, uh, Jessica, I think uh, that's a reasonable way to handle an adult intussusception, and I think Dr. Lee also did a nice job to talk about the differences between adult intussusception and pediatric intussusception, and and really that's why we can treat them so differently and why one is much more operatively managed than the others, air column, air barium column, uh, enema for reduction. I feel like that's a question. Isn't that a question? Oh, <laughs> it's a classic <laughs> fact. I think you actually posted it or somebody did uh, recently on uh, Instagram or Facebook. Uh, the oh classic God, adult <laughs> malignant lead point uh, I think came up fairly recently. I, it's hard to say because the facts come at you all the time. I don't, it yeah. feels like yesterday. I don't, I don't right. know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I mean, between Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and I don't know, they're everywhere. The like website stuff all the time. So, yeah. I mean, but that's good. That's part of the benefit. It's one of the things that we offer with Obsite Smackdown. You know, it's not just a book. You don't just open a book, you know, you can listen to the podcast and go through your social media. I mean, we all know that everyone has a TikTok addiction. So smash <laughs> up your TikTok. All of a sudden there's website SmackDown. <laughs> I keep forgetting there's a TikTok. I, every time you say that, I, I forget there's a TikTok. Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also an outside conference coming up soon. You know? so, so, so good to mention that, Dr. <laughs> Lee. Oh, yeah. So again, we are two months out and, you know, you're coming up with a plan. I know you at home are coming up with a plan for what you're doing for two months out. But right before the absite, perfect timing, January 8th, 9th, and 10th, we're doing an online conference. So anyone can attend. It will be broadcasted. It will be recorded. If you're on call, if you have to go take a case, you can come back. You can rewatch what you missed. It's fantastic. Tickets are on sale. Both these lovely doctors are speakers at our conference and I missed a bunch of others. And it's just really exciting. Um, I'm hoping that everybody will enjoy it. Dr. Lee, you don't have to worry because you get to speak and then hear everybody else speak. And there's your, your pre-test wrap up right there, huh? Well, Jess, I want to add in, I think uh, one of the things I liked about the conference is you guys set it up to be in the evening. 
which mm-hmm. helps people uh, Eastern time, which helps people across the country uh, get this done and not have to travel for it. So I thought that was great. I compliment you guys on that. Um, I know you guys, uh, at least you told me, I think it's still the plan that you're going to include access to the video course, uh, the new one that's about to come out right. uh, so that these uh, the people who attend, they're going to have the interaction, the ability to be interactive with the uh, course, the review course. And then they're even going to have the review videos that uh, follow the book. Uh, They're going to have access to those too. So they're going to have the ability to have a lot of the base content and ongoing access to that. So I think that was a great idea. I wish I would have had that when I was a resident. So uh, good idea, you guys. Yeah, purchase the ticket and you get you get it all. You get the it's the golden ticket, literally. So <laughs> are you are you excited, Dr. Lee, to speak? Is this gonna is this your first conference to speak at or uh, it may be. I think it is, yeah. So I'm very excited. And it, it's amazing that you know what we have now with technology. I think right now actually the three of us are in three very different time zones. So when we were um, coordinating today, I was like, this is amazing that we can be across across the country and all be in the same place at the same time and and connect and and learn something. Right. Yeah. 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 It throws me off being on mountain time. Like I mean I'm on mountain time right now and it's like I'm so used to I was in central for so long it keeps throwing me off. I keep forgetting what time other people have. So Oh, well, yeah, it's really cool. That's, that's what's great about the conference. It doesn't matter what time zone you're in. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're on call, if you're home, whatever you can do, you're able to attend. You don't have to feel like you're going to miss out because if you get called away to do something, you're going to be able to rewatch it. It is being recorded. So it's just really helpful, especially with, I mean, I feel like we are already pretty set up for COVID to happen. Like we had, you know, all of our online things, but you know, this is just the perfect way, even if there wasn't COVID to just help residents because you guys are so busy and who has the money to travel? And if you can travel, do you really want to go to a conference or do you want to go lay on a beach? I don't know. I'm just saying. I like, can conference at the beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we make that a thing? Let's, yeah. let's make that a goal. Yeah. So anything to add today, Dr. K? No, as usual, I appreciate the time. I always like uh, talking with Dr. Lee and, and you, Jessica. And uh, I think this is uh, very useful I know the editors timestamp our case. Um, I'm sure they'll drop a link on the bottom Mm -hmm. for where people can go for tickets for the conference. And uh, really so far so good. I'm also pretty beat uh, because I've been working on coordinating all the authors for this uh, next edition of the book. It's been quite a ride uh, to do Mm -hmm. it and get the videos done. So I'm really excited uh, for that part of the project to be over. And I thank you both for your help with it as usual. Well, thanks for that. And Dr. K just kind of led us into it. The book is dropping version 3.0. It's going to be out soon. Again, Dr. Colton Lee is multiple chapters that he authored. I don't know which one he's going to speak on at the conference, but it's really exciting. So new book, new conference. We're two months from the app site. Today we were doing a good case study that may help you. Has two questions that are really important. And uh, is there anything else? Anything else to wrap up before I do my line? Nope. Okay, well, you guys know it. Hashtag Absite Smackdown. Thanks for listening to the Absite Smackdown podcast. Visit us at AbsiteSmackdown.com for more great Absite facts.